Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. Well, the question today is... What gets you excited? What gets you excited? I know there's a bunch of kids. They're, they're excited and they're anticipating what they're gonna, gonna do this hour. And some of you would be excited to go with them. And that would be fun too. Um, I'm actually asking the question in the sense that, um, what is it that excites you that is most likely to make you do something impulsive. All right? You see where I'm headed with this? You're walking in the grocery store. And you walk a little too close to the ice cream aisle. Right? And suddenly there's four half gallons of, you know, lusciousness waiting to be eaten, right? Okay? Or, you know, you're walking the mall and you see for sale or, you know, big sale. Or you drive by the car dealership, you know. What is it that when you see it, you get a little excited and you lose your, I mean, your impulse control is just kind of like gone. Right? You're flipping through the channels and you see something and all of a sudden, you know, two and a half hours later, Right? You've just spent your time, your energy, whatever it is. It's different for everybody. And all of us have different uh, things that we're drawn to. Um, and sometimes it's multiple things, right? Things that can get us into trouble for hanging around the wrong people or, or the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, some things can happen to draw us into that impulsive situation that later we say to ourselves, why did I do that? Right? I think we've all pretty much been there, done that. But the good news is that God can still use sometimes our mistakes, our flaws for his good. And so we're going to look at a story today. Actually, it's multiple stories a kind of an ongoing saga of a very interesting character in Scripture. And uh, you, you, you've been anticipating this, I know, in Judges. So we're going to talk about Samson today. Yeah. So if you want to open up to Judges chapter 14, here we go. Now the very last verse of uh, chapter 13 says, the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. And it's talking about Samson. This is the young man who was, uh, who was chosen by God to be a judge. But it's very interesting here. It says that um, when the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him, uh, that Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Talk about impulse control, all right? 
this guy went on a little side trip and uh, he saw this girl. You know, it's kind of like being in class, you know, in seventh grade and you look across the room and right? There's a little hottie sitting there, right? And uh, it wasn't much different for me when I was my freshman year in college and and uh, a little gal uh, named, her last name was Meredith, was sitting on the other side of the room and I went like, yeah, baby, yeah, she's pretty cute, you know? And yeah, I mean, I didn't lose my impulse control at that moment, but you know, a little bit later when I got to know her better, she became my, well, all of a sudden here, Samson, he has just fallen head over heels for this gal. Now, what's interesting, it's just a visual thing. He, I don't think he even talked to her because we're going to find out a little bit later that he actually then went back and talked to her. He says, and he liked her, right? Sometimes we're drawn into a relationship just by what we see on the surface. And we don't even know what's beneath the surface. But here, Samson is uh, is really wanting something for himself, right? Verse 3 says this, His father and mother replied, Well, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. Now, literally, in the original text, it says, she is right in my eyes. That's kind of a theme of judges. Everyone did what they thought was right in their own eyes. You can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me how to think. This is my decision, right? And so here he is displaying this this trait that uh, God is trying to highlight in this book of Judges here. It's something that happens to us that when we start thinking, you know, this is right for me. Sometimes, you know, he he tries to put people in in our space that try to encourage us to be thinking beyond what we think. Okay? And sometimes we just say, nope, as far as I'm concerned, my opinion is the only one I'm going to listen to. So here's Samson. And verse 4, it says, his parents did not know that actually this was from the Lord. Now, that's a little confusing, but here is, here is the explanation. It goes on, it says, the, it was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. Now, what does that mean? Well, there's a couple of, couple of notes we have to take here. One is we need to know that God can use our negatives, our mistakes, if you will, our flawed personalities for good. But, remember this, it doesn't mean that we are free to follow our impulses. In other words, God can use when we get distracted and we do something that we shouldn't have done, but we shouldn't then cast off all restraints and say, well, if God can use anything, then I can do anything. Right? That's not the the teaching behind this. It's saying Samson did something that he thought was right in his own eyes, which was totally wrong. It was against protocol. And so here now God is using this, but 
Look at what God is doing here. It's interesting to note that in this judge's cycle, that this is different than every other time we see a judge put in place in, in the scriptures. This time, this time, God is basically putting a judge into place and note that the people were not crying out for relief. They had been, become so used to just living in the world under the, the restrictions and the power and the authority of the Philistines that they just become very comfortable there. Remember, every other time that they were oppressed by the foreigners. They, they were unable to do what God called them to do. They become so enmeshed that, that finally they realize, oh, we're crying out because of the oppression in this situation. No. They were just fine and dandy with living under the rule and the authority and under the gods with a small g of the Philistines. And so here God has to come to a place where he allows Samson to do his thing so that it starts this process so that Israel will cry out. Okay? In other words, he sometimes gives us what we want so we realize what we really need is him. Okay? Sometimes we do our own thing our own way and and God says, okay, fine, I'll let you have it. You do it. You'll find out what happens when you think that is your source of salvation. When you find out that that is not what you expected it to be in terms of fun and pleasure and a good life. All the things that the world tells us that we need. And then you realize, wow, uh, it didn't really deliver, did it? Right? So this is a situation that God is, is putting into place. They aren't asking for relief. God is going to create a scenario now where he uses someone who's very flawed <laughs> to what? To create this, this terrible situation that the Israelites finally go, whoa, God, we need you now again. All right? So let, let's, let's, let's look at this. This is... Kind of fun and kind of scary at the same time. Um, So Samson, verse 5, goes down to Timnah together with his father and mother. And as they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands. Now, has anybody here been to the zoo when the lion is out? You know, we went to the Portland Zoo. It's a great zoo. Oh, my goodness. It's a great zoo, right? They had this glass wall where the lion can come up right, I mean, just like these four inches away from you, right? And I was just stunned at how powerful this thing is. I mean, it's just a huge beast. And you think, this guy had the power of God, the Spirit of God, put into him so that he could take a lion and tear it apart with his bare hands. Whew. This guy had, had some strength, right? It, it shows you just a, just a minuscule potential that God has in terms of power. 
He can put that into a human being to tear apart a lion with his bare hands. Wow. Um, so says, but he told neither his father or mother what he had done. Verse 7 says, then he went down and he talked with the woman that he saw and he liked her. He liked her. So sometimes later, uh, sometime later when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass and in it he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. Now this sounds gross to me, but he scooped out the honey with his hand and he ate it and then he went along. And when he rejoined his parents, he gave them some and they ate it too. But he did not tell them he had taken the honey from a lion's carcass. Now, he was supposed to be a Nazarite, not touch anything that's dead, right? So here he actually breaks the, the restrictions for him. And he does, he for, not forces, but he gives it to his parents and doesn't tell them. And in so doing, they break the law unknowingly. So, interesting. Now his father went down to see the woman and there Samson held a feast as was customary for young men. Now, when the people saw him, they chose 30 men to be his companions. These are like, you know, sidekicks for, I guess, uh, you know, a pre-party for the, for the wedding. And, uh, and Samson says this, Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. These are the 30 guys he's talking to. If you can give me the answer within seven days of the feast, I will give all of you... 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Now, I've been in some wedding parties before, and um, I don't know what you got for your wedding gift, right? You know, one time I got like a pen knife. Thanks. You know, appreciate that. Um, But, I mean, he's going to give them 30 sets of clothes, all right? 30 sets of clothes. And if you can't tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. All right. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it. Uh, he replies, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Now, we all know what the answer to that is, right? But they were clueless. They were clueless. So for three days, they couldn't give the answer. And on the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, all right, if you can't get to the guy, get to the girl, right? And so, uh, so coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. So just a little incentive, right? Just a little incentive to get her to tell them. And they say, did you invite us here to steal our property? And then Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing. You hate me. You don't really love me. You give me, you give my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. And he says, I haven't even explained it to my father and mother, he replied. So why should I explain it to you? And she cried, get this, she cried the whole seven days of the feast. Really? You want to marry this gal? Okay, all right, whatever. She must have been really pretty, let me tell you. I don't know. So she here, she's sobbing seven days, seven days, seven days. So on the seventh day, he finally tells her because she continued to press him. She, in turn, explains that riddle to her people, right? And so then, before the sun sets on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, What's sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And Samson said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer... Now, that was like, talk to my wife. So, (laughs) guys, I don't really recommend that you call your wife a cow. Okay, just... 
I'm just saying. We're putting it out there. Just a little aside. Okay. It says, uh, you wouldn't have solved my riddle. So then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him, and he went down to Ascalon. He struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. So you understand what happened? So he owes them these 30 sets of clothes. So he goes down and he kills 30 people and takes their clothes and gives them back to them. Ouch. Okay. So then, burning with anger, he returns to his father's home. And Samson's wife was given to one of his companions. If you're going to cry for seven days to to get me to tell you the riddle, and then I have to go and kill people and give the clothes away, I don't even need you here. So he gives his wife away. He just says, I'm done. Right? I'm done. So Samson's wife is given to one of his companions who had attended at the the feast. So then later on, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and he went to visit his wife. And he said, I'm going to my wife's room. But his father wouldn't let him go in. He says, I was so sure that you hated her that I gave her to your companion. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. Uh, boy, this is a bunch of bad stuff. So it goes on. Verse, uh, I forget. Three. There you go. Samson says to them, this time I have the right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. So he goes out. He catches 300 foxes. Okay. And then he ties their tails together in twos. Right. Ouch. And then he ties a torch uh, to every pair of tails, and then he lights the torch, and he lifts the foxes loose in their standing grain of the Philistines. Can you just picture this? I mean, number one, how much time does it take to to figure out how to how to get three hundred foxes together? I don't get. This must have been kind of like a Noah's Ark thing, in my opinion. Okay, I mean, where are you going to find three hundred foxes? Right. So God must have had these these 300 foxes, you know, hey, go over there, you know. So Samson rounds them up. He ties their tails together. He puts a torch in it and then he lights the torch on fire and then sets the foxes loose in the fields of the Philistines. So what do you think the Philistines are doing? You know, so the Philistines goes go up and uh, went up and burned her and her father. Right. Little payback. So can you see now these people, these Israelites, have now lived among the Philistines and been so, you know, comfortable that they, with worshiping other gods and, and being right alongside the Philistines doing that. And they're not crying out for relief so that they can worship the one true God. And so God has a created scenario. And what does he do? He takes an impulsive young guy, fills him with power, and then this young guy, because of his impulsiveness, then what does he do? He starts killing people. He starts lighting things on fire. His wife gets burned and her, and her, and her dad and everything, and you're thinking, oh, my goodness. So now we've got a scenario where the Philistines are not liking the Israelites. Okay? Now you can see what's going to happen, Right? So Samson, uh, so Samson in verse uh, six here says, so the Philistines went up, they burned her and her father to death. And Samson said to them, since you've acted like this, 
I swear that I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. So he attacks them viciously. He slaughters many of them. Then he went down and he stayed in a cave in the rock of Edom. And then the Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. And the people of Judah asked, why have you come to fight us? We, we have come to take Samson prisoner, they answered. So, so to do this, I mean, to do to him as he did to us. So then 3,000 men from Judah, now these are Israelites, right? So 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave, and then he gets Samson, uh, to get Samson. And uh, they say to Samson, what have you done to us? You, you've created a scenario now where the Philistines are really mad at us, okay? This is exactly what God wanted to have happen. And so then... Um, Samson says, swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. And they agreed. And they answered, we will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We won't kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes. They led him up from the, from the, the, the rock. And as he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him. And the ropes dropped from his arms like charred flax. And the bindings dropped from his hands. And then finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabs it and he struck down a thousand men. This is just craziness, right? That he has the power one against a thousand. One against a thousand, right? And then Samson says this, just a to add fuel to the fire. Samson says, With a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. Wow. I've killed a thousand men, he said. And then when he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and the place there was called Jawbone Hill. All right, how about that? And because he was very thirsty, then he cries out to the Lord, You have given your servant a great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall to the hands of the uncircumcised? Look at Samson's attitude toward God. I mean, God is the one who empowered him to take on a lion with his bare hands, to round up 300 foxes, and then to kill a thousand people with a donkey's jawbone. And then he has the gall... To say, hey, after all this hard work, I need a, I need a drink of water. I mean, let me die here. I mean, that, it's, it's, just, it's just pathetic. And you think, God is using this guy, and he is totally clueless. Totally clueless. So Samson drinks, and he strengthens, his strength returns, and he's revived. So the springways there are called springs of the one who, who cried out. And it's still there in Lehi. And Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. So they made him the leader. They let him lead. He was the judge. Now, can you imagine? So what is the takeaway for all this? I mean, my goodness. I mean, you, you read some stuff in the Bible and you, it, it just mesmerizes me. That, that these things even happen. Well, I, I guess the question for us, we live in America, the land of the free. We said we will have no king over us. 
And we're a bunch of rebels. And we like to do what's right in our own eyes. We're the deciders of our own fate, right? There's a little too much of that in us, I think, at times. It's hard for us to even want to call out to God to say, God, you direct me. Because we've got it all figured out. We don't pray until we need to pray. We don't cry out until we find ourselves in a pickle of our own making, right? So people haven't changed. People haven't changed. And sometimes the church finds itself in a very bad spot because it's, it's allowed itself to be ruled by social norms, society, what other people think is good instead of what God says is right. And we get a little too comfortable. And sometimes God needs to wake us up. And the question is, what will it take to finally see the difference between good and evil? Because there is good and there is evil. It's, it's just not all up for grabs. The Bible is truth. There are, there are commandments that are for our good. There are certain things that God calls evil and certain things he calls good. And as you talk with people today, so many people say, you can't tell me what's right and what's wrong. There is no truth. But the Bible says there is truth. And we need to have our eyes open. And hopefully we don't fall into that category where finally we think, oh, we're a Christian nation. So we're protected by God. It's not true. It's not true. How many people think they're safe because they live in a safe place? But is it truly a godly place? You know, the Bible says that that we are to be in the world, but not of it. And that's a, that's a, it's a very thin tightrope that we walk. It's hard to, to dedicate yourself fully to God. You know, we, we, we have this way of, of kind of making space for God at certain times. And then on other occasions, we're over here doing our own thing. And we find ourselves sometimes being very comfortable there. Of kind of giving God his due here and there, but not really giving him our all. We're talking about our finances. We're talking about our free time. We're talking about every, everything, every part of our life, who we are at work, who we are at school, who we are when we're playing. All the time, is it God's time? Or have we learned to segment things out and only give him a little bit? Maybe the 10%, but 90%'s mine, God. Really? I mean, it's all God's, right? 
I mean, God created us. He gave us breath. He gave us life. He gives us the resources that we have. We're just stewards. We're managers. And everything that we do is to reflect His glory, not our own. It's hard. That's why God created the church, that you would have a group of people who are like-minded, who have one goal, to reflect who God created us to be, to be like Him. So a world would see that and know that. You know, it just stuns me in Acts when you see the church gathered and the thing that people are in awe of is it says there that no one had need. Some would sell a house or a piece of property and then give it to others who didn't have just the basics, right? I mean, they treated each other with respect. The slave was just as as important as the master. And in in one scenario, the, the slave actually becomes the pastor of the church that the master goes to. And the Bible says, be a good slave. So during the week, he's this guy's slave and this master is over him. During And then on Sunday or Saturday, whatever day they met on, right? This guy's in charge of this guy. And you're thinking, how did that even work? It was because they were all humble. They all knew that their position, their places were just given to them by God. And so they fulfilled their roles. And all the resources they possessed, they gave to one another. And then beyond that, they gave to others outside of their fellowship so that they could experience just a little bit of what it would be like to be part of a family that loves each other and respects each other and forgives each other and shows mercy to one another and provides for one another. And you think, that's a taste of heaven. That's what heaven is supposed to be, right? That's who we are. But we find ourselves in this world... What's it going to take to put to death the things of the past that led us away from God? What will help us to stop thinking that we can coexist with evil? Right? Now, this doesn't mean that we separate ourselves from people. It means we separate ourselves from evil, knowing that those people need to be freed as well. Right? We don't judge. We, we act the way God would act to, to try and draw people to, to the Lord. Psalm 97.10 says this, You who love the Lord hate evil. Very few times you ever see in Scripture God commanding His people to hate anything. We're not to hate people. We're to love God and, and love people. Even those who aren't of the faith. We're to, to show God's love to them, right? We're to pray for those who even persecute us. But what are we supposed to hate? We're supposed to hate evil. You know, I thought for a long time, if God wanted us to really hate evil, he should make it all taste like broccoli. You know, I mean, that it'd be so much easier if that was the, that was the case. But it, it's not, right? We have to be discerning. And we find in God's word what is good, what is evil. It says, hate evil. He protects the lives of the godly people and he rescues them from the power of the wicked. Amos uh, chapter 5, verse 15 says, hate evil and love what is good. 
Turn your courts into true halls of justice. Perhaps even yet the Lord God of heaven's armies will have mercy on the remnant of his people. Romans 12.9 says this, Hate what is wrong or evil. Stand on the side of good, of the good. I'll give you one more. Galatians 5.24-25 says this, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and the desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Every part. You know, I I find myself so many times, you know, just dabbling. Doing things that I, if I stopped and I thought about it, I probably shouldn't do. Right? But you're so used to it. You get comfortable there. And I, I... I want you to think seriously today. Can you open your heart? Can you pray, Lord, reveal to me that space or that time or those resources that I am not dedicating to you, but I'm kind of just doing my own thing. Help me to see what it would be like to be fully, fully, completely dedicated to you in all areas of my life. Help me to hold my life like this, not like this. Okay? I'm just saying that because if we don't do that, then God will allow things to play out to where finally there might be a time when you will have to cry out to God. You know why? Because God loves you so much that he wants you to experience the kind of life, the good the wholesome, the pleasing life that he desires for you. And so know that if we don't release it, he will help it to be released. I just don't want to find myself in a a spot where I have to, you know, find two cats and tie their tails together and, you know, light my neighbor's house on fire. Yeah, I I don't want to have to go there, right? So I would never do that, would I? I, no, I wouldn't. Okay, just just double check it. <laughs> all right, let's pray together. God, we know that we are all flawed people. We know that we struggle. Um, we, we live in the land of the free, the home of the brave, the, the place where we think uh, so many times that uh, we have the freedom to do our own thing. Uh, Lord, forgive us when we uh, get way too comfortable Uh, in arenas where uh, we shouldn't be, doing things that we shouldn't do and spending money on things we shouldn't spend it on. Um, God, we long and desire, we cry out for you um, as our God, as our Father. We want your instruction. We want your peace uh, to know that we love what is good and we hate what is evil. God, open our eyes to what that means for each of us today. And help us to be humble enough to allow others to speak into our heart, into our lives, into our, into our mind. Um, and we expect good things because of it, Lord, that you will lead us deeper and deeper into the path of righteousness. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. 
And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com. Thank you.